welcome to the Now There's a Thought podcast. Today, a podcast host, a pastor, and a biologist slash church engagement specialist walk into a bar to talk about biology, art, and inspiring worship. As usual, it's not actually a bar. Once again, our friends at the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion are providing us with recording space and guests too, so many thanks to them. Welcome to the Now There's a Thought pop-up bar. I'm afraid you'll have to buy your own drink. Hello, welcome to the bar. My name's Louise and I'll be hosting the podcast today. I'm joined as ever by Andy Wadhams, pastor of Gallery Church in Birmingham. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Maybe even a divine moment for everyone, even the listener. Wow. Okay, I did bring a pastor with me. Excellent. And <laughs> we're welcoming the wonderful Dr. Ruth Bansevich as well today. Yay! Hello. To it's lovely to be here. Very excited to have you on. Um, I would like to introduce you personally slightly. Ruth is incredibly intelligently creative and um, that's kind of the theme of the Wonders of the Living World project, which is what mm. we're going to talk about. But you're also one of the most enthusiastic and encouraging people I know. And I really love watching you talk for this because... Um, I sometimes find shouty enthusiasm quite intimidating and you actually have this kind of, it's, it's not understated because it's really contagious, but like your muscles go all like taut like a spring and you smile really broadly and you nod really encouragingly um, and it's just wonderful and you transmit all of this energy and I love it. And it seems to happen every time you watch someone outdo their own expectations, which is really encouraging and lovely. And also when we have these kinds of conversations about links between science and creativity and worship. So I'm expecting to see lots of it today, which makes me very happy. Oh, that, that's nice, Ruth. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Embarrassed? It's nice to be encouraged. <laughs> Great. Oh. I've told I have a very expressive listening face. Yeah, <laughs> in the best possible way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's lovely, that intro. Isn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking for the next podcast, instead of I'm joined with the pastor from Birmingham. <laughs> you know, Sorry, did you, need, did you yeah. want a little rundown of all the things I love about you? But yeah, actually, we probably, it's probably quite brief, won't it? Let's not bother, actually, <laughs> my highlighter. Yeah, it's Good. great to have you with us, Ruth. And I'll just say this, you've been part of our journey from scratch. From before really. it started. Yeah, from before it started. Um and so you've been, I mean, I'll say this in the most respectful way, you've been knocking around for a bit um, in our journey. <laughs> it's true. But we've never featured you. It's, Today is It's overdue. Day. It's overdue. Yeah. We are blessed to have you. This is so good. Thanks for being with us. Uh, regardless of my personal introduction, we do have a tradition of quick fire questions that are carefully and <clears throat> non-scientifically collated um, <laughs> to get to the heart of who each guest is as a person. So are you ready for some quick fire questions? Yes. This is it, the real Ruth. Excellent. What's your name and where do you come from? Ruth Bansevich and I identify as Scottish. <laughs> your accent identifies as Scottish, so that's good. <laughs> uh, I know you love microscopic images of cells. Do you have a favourite cell to look at? No, it's just so long as it's like pretty colour and lovely patterns. <laughs> Fantastic. <That's, laughs> I feel that's the most scientific. That seems uh, like the most yes, yes. I yeah. actually have proper social scientific data to say that biologists like colours and patterns. Fantastic. <laughs> Don't we all like colours and patterns? We, like, that's true, actually. Maybe we're all biologists scientists. Biologists are actual people. Mm. Crazy. Um, what are your opinions on traffic cones? Um, put it on the head of the nearest statue. Excellent. That's the <laughs> ideal opinion. Uh, have you ever painted your skin for fancy dress and how messy was it? Um, not for fancy dress, but at a summer camp, if you mix it with poster paint, it's yeah. quite fun. And then you go for a swim 
<laughs> what colour did you go for? I can't remember. It was quite a while ago, but it was quite a fun idea. Hopefully the poster paint was environmentally friendly. Hopefully. <laughs> the fish are all like, dyed green now or something. <laughs> uh, do you prefer text or phone calls? <laughs> I'm overthinking this now. Phone calls. Phone calls. I, th- I wonder if the, an- the real answer was neither. No. <laughs> Stop <laughs> contacting me, Louise. It's too much. <laughs> uh, and final question. What do you do while the kettle's boiling? Usually tidy up the kitchen. Very practical. Very practical. I feel like our listeners know you a little bit now as well. And we do have one further silly hurdle before we get into talking about your work. It's time for a game. Today we're playing Is It Science? So I will give each of you 30 seconds to argue why each of my random items is science, in Ruth's case. Or not science, in Andy's case. <laughs> okay. You know okay. you're at the end of your 30 seconds when I blow my very attractive handmade whistle. Wooden. My, Whittled my, from wood. Yes, by my own fair hand. <laughs> it's a, a very proud achievement of mine. At home we hang it next to my degree certificate. <laughs> yes. So, we will start with Andy, as per tradition. Right, here we go. So I am... You are not science... I'm not. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I am not science. Okay. You ready for your first item? No, not really. Here we go for another defeat. (laughs) No, I believe in you. Yeah, thanks. That's kind. Okay. Peacock feather in 30 seconds. Go. A peacock feather. Is it science? Many people have been asking this, especially in the early 21st century. The answer is now, within these 30 seconds, and I've spent a lot of these 30 seconds on the question. So the answer clearly is no. It's nature, it's beautiful, it's God showing off. The peacock feather is not science, it's God's creative hand. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I feel like Ruth is definitely going to have something to say about this. (laughs) A peacock feather... Is science in 30 seconds. Go. Mm, yes, I think you could probably do some science on a peacock feather. I think as a biologist, I think what, what microbes are growing on it um, might be an interesting <laughs> question. Um, are they pretty colours under a microscope? And Yes. And um, if you had lots of peacock feathers, you could maybe do a useful research project on tail feathers and, you know you know, peacocks from different places or, you know, things. There's, there's stuff, there's science. You could science it. You could okay. science it. <laughs> you could science it. <laughs> That's brilliant. That should be our strap line. That could be our strap yeah, we, we should change you could the name of the podcast. It. Yeah. Okay. Just on conviction, I'm giving that one to Andy. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. Right. We're starting with Ruth this time. Ruth, I would like to know why a lilo is science. <laughs> In 30 seconds, starting now. A lilo, well, you can do experiments with um, hot air, you know, warming things up, cooling things down, seeing, you know, the effects of, you know, how long would it take to pop it if you heated the air up a lot or, you know, blew a lot of air into it. You know, there's loads, you know, the quality of the plastic, you know, the seams, you know, how do you make a lilo so it can withstand being blown up and you know, had all the things done to it that people do to Lilo's. Lovely. 
Well, I'm, Andy. I'm in trouble here because I've only got another argument for why it is. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you can own goal it if you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm struggling. I really don't want you to blow that whistle. <laughs> well, firstly, I'm going to start the timer. So okay. your time on why a lilo is not science starts now. A lilo is not science because it should be nowhere near the science lab. It should be on a pool, in the sun, on holiday. Rest com and people are still saying dot com but that's an aside um i think the lilo is not science and i would argue it is a state of rest there's a huge part of me that wants to argue the physics of it and the displacement and how you manage to stay floating but my gift is that it's not science <laughs> Thanks for that beautiful own goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to be honest, Ruth had already won it when she started talking about controlled explosions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, who said anything about control? Oh, Come on. Yes. <laughs> explosions in That's general. That's how you win this. Oh, cut it. It's taken me this long. Right. So we'll see right, if you want to explode the next item because you are first up okay. on why a music stand is not science in 30 seconds starting now. <laughs> I just so struggle with these. <laughs> right, here we go. The music stand, the music stand, the institution, the idea, the music stand. All right, it's not science. It's not science because it's the arts. Once again, I'm here saying it supports the arts. It's a table of literature. We put something on a music stand out of convenience. Before the music stand, it would have just been a stone or a wooden sideboard. It's not science. It's convenience and humanity. <laughs> Lovely. All right. Ruth, 30 seconds to argue why a music stand <laughs> is actually science. Starting now. Well, I think, to be honest, you could do quite a lot with why the music stands always fall over, collapse, slide mm. down. Like the, you know, there's a lot of physics there about forces yeah. and metal and wear and tear. You know, you could, you could, you could do quite a lot there with the wobbly falling, you know. Not that, sorry, with respect to music stand manufacturers <laughs> music stand users who abuse their music stands fold mm. them back badly throw them around mm. do children. terrible things to them don't know how they work okay <laughs> fabulous i'm giving that one to you ruth which means uh, congratulations oh, on a decisive 2-1 win <laughs> very good amazing yeah. mm. music stands i felt like that was hard both ways that was an interesting yeah one. yeah 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 the music stand i mean they are Quite mm. complex mechanisms. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Well done, Ruth. Congratulations Thank on you. your victory. Thank you. Proud. Very good. Um, right. We have uh, made it through our silly hurdles. We're going to yeah. talk about some of your work. Um, and let's talk about that more in general at first and then zoom in on the Wonders of the Living World Project. And starting with your job title, you are the Church Engagement Director at the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion. Can you break down, firstly, what does the Faraday Institute do? Yeah. Um, and then what does it mean to be the Church Engagement Director here? So the Faraday Institute um, does academic research, interdisciplinary research on science and religion, largely Christianity. Um, and uh, then we also do engagement with the general public through events, through training courses, uh, resources, um, and um, my particular role is to help the general public who hang out in churches and church leaders. So many of us do things with churches, but my role is to expand our reach of what we do, try new things, reach unreached audiences. 
and generally sort of coordinate. So, so your main job is is to start conversations with people who weren't thinking of having them mm, and persuade <laughs> them. This is something they need to do. Mm. Uh, amazing. How did you get here? Hmm. Mainly, probably mainly by not really knowing what I wanted to do <laughs> um, and being open to things. Um, yeah. And then you, I, I tried science, found myself not quite patient enough for the lab um, <laughs> and enjoyed it. But, yeah, didn't want to focus on, you know, one molecule for the rest of my life or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and um, was going to go into science communication, but then saw a job with Christians in Science, which I was a member of at the time. It does what it says on the tin, mm. <laughs> Christians <laughs> in Science. Um, and I got the job, so I essentially found myself doing science communication with Christianity thrown in, which was fun. Um, trying to help that organisation to refresh and grow. And then two members of Christians in Science set up the Faraday Institute um, and I said, was looking for a part-time job to go with my Christians in Science work, and they said yes, and made a space for me, and I've been here ever since. So, mm. Amazing. Yeah. And so if you were, if you went into Christians in Science at that point, you were already a Christian. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the story there? How did this all kind of meld together for you mm. so i say i did the ultimate experiment i lived with christians my uh, parents are christians whoa. and yeah. you know anyone who's a parent knows you can't pull the wool over your kids eyes you see the real deal you know and what it's like to be christian and i liked what i saw i had a nice childhood not a perfect childhood but a good childhood and um i my parents were medics um and very research-minded one of them was an academic is an academic mm. and um so th- the answers to questions and the kinds of things we discussed worked for me as a sciencey person you know i got logical answers and evidence and things like that so mm. i did take to faith and it, you could probably track my development <laughs> you know at every developmental stage i made another step change in my journey of faith so mm. i arrived at 19 getting baptized before i went off to university great wow yeah yeah, yeah that's nice little flashback yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, but okay, back to today. So you're going out trying to connect with church audiences, more church audiences than are already connected. What does that look like? What do you do in your days? Yeah. So there, are, there are a number of quite, in the sense, I'm going for easy wins of the, <laughs> the you know, what are the things that people don't know that once they know them, they'll be encouraged, mm. um, yeah. and, um, helping people to. Well, A, learn about us, that we exist, um, and the other organisations that work in this field, um, and having access to the resources and the knowledge from those. Um, Learning about scientists who are people of faith is super encouraging, and some of that is books and resources, some of that is sending people out (laughs) to, you know, a list of people we can send places to do talks and be interviewed and what have you. Um, Yeah. helping people to see this is something they can include in the stuff they already do in little ways, Mm. um, which is generally more lasting, sustainable, little bits of church services, ready-made material for small groups, that kind of thing. Um, And, um, you know, sometimes teaching a bit of theology of science um, and how science and faith have worked together in the past in quite a healthy way. 
and still do for many people. So busting comes with some of the kind of myths mm. um, around things. Um, presenting people with some of the stats, you know, one in three biologists and physicists in this country, according to one survey recently, are going to be believers in God or some yeah, kind of higher power. So, it's um, a significant proportion. Yeah, it is. Mm. And it's yeah, less it's a third, than, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that. We, yeah. we brought in for the maths. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and it is less than the general population, but mm. bearing in mind that it's not a cross-section of the general population because science is so international. So there's yeah. so many different influences going on there and, you know, the people mm. who end up in academia are the people that get to come to this country. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that are going on yeah. there. But, it's yeah, there's a lot of people who are open to faith conversation. So what's the, what's the lie of the land? You've been out and about, UK churches and schools mm-hmm. and other places. What's the, is there an appetite for more? Is there a, just a general kind of science... Uh, science, you know, science has killed God. Is that still a thing or not anymore? Or what's the what's the atmosphere? It's really patchy. Um, we generally find we've got more to do and more leads and more relationships than we know what to do with. Right. Um, okay. So um, obviously, COVID was a bit different. Yeah. Um, and I think probably in a positive way, people were leaning on the health professionals and the sciencey people in their own congregations, which I think is good. Mm. Um, more often than coming to us, although they did come to us. Um, but um, there's a mixture, and it depends very much on the denomination, the right. leader, um, what's been going on locally. Um, some people just haven't thought about it. They know they they could or should. Um, I feel this country's education system, mm. I can't speak for what it does now, but sure. certainly in the past it's made people feel separated into sciencey and non-sciencey yeah. people, yeah. Um, which is a shame. So some of what I do is helping people to see we're all, we all interact with gotcha. science yeah. um, every day and that if we don't address the science and faith questions, people will find answers elsewhere and right. they may be answers that the pastor is a bit surprised or um you know <laughs> um would we wish people hadn't got hold of yeah. um depending on you know the theology of the denomination so there's room mm. there to teach um bit by bit yeah and um i find yeah some people want to have debates on controversies right. um yeah. which you know is good but I think shouldn't always be our starting place. Some people yeah. are wary of science mm. um, for various reasons um, and some somewhat on the back foot. Um, mm. Other people are just, um, you know, open and excited and, you know, banging yeah. on the door wanting to do things. So, um, yeah. And you go out to churches yourself as well, don't you? You don't just send other people. Yes. So if you have... Mm. An invitation. Someone's letting you loose with a church group. Mm, yeah. How do you prepare for that? Um, well, if it's a Sunday service, I'll say, how much can I feed into? You know, sometimes get asked to preach, and I'll say, can we also pray for the scientists? Can I give you some song ideas? Um, you know, mm. it depends how much energy and time I've got. <laughs> um, but it, it's fun to demo some ways people can interact with science in part yeah. of the um, service. And um, I will just think about, often it's thinking about the sort of theology of science messages, the positive, encouraging, inspiring, laying foundations type conversations, how I can slot those into what they've asked me to do. 
So it sounds like you, it sounds like, uh, so as a pastor myself, it sounds like you would come and you would raise the profile of science that's already there in the room. Um, it's there in theology and just mm. um, rather than trying to bring it, you know, if, you, if you're around a little while, you start to see a new initiative and another new initiative. And by the mm-hmm. time you get to some of our ages, you've seen a million new initiatives. Mm. Um, so what's really refreshing is sounds like you're just pointing out what's already there, mm-hmm. what God's already doing and what science. Mm. So that's, that's, would that be fair to say? Yes. And, and it's something that's on my heart, but I'm not totally sure how to tackle it is mm. most pastors have had some kind of theological training. Yeah. And it was a training that at points they may have felt surprised, stretched, confused, had to go and yeah. sort everything out in their head again. And they've yeah. been through that process of of being exposed to different kinds of theologies and having their roots in biblical studies laid deeper and the exposed to more complex stuff and then trying to articulate that to their congregations then how do you do that you know it's like a lifelong that's what it is isn't it yeah yeah. and and i think in the area of biblical interpretation which is so important to the science and faith discussion Mm. with respect to genesis one to three i think if that if that um groundwork has been done this is how we interpret the bible this is how we handle the bible and as a sort of controlled exposure to, um, you know, different views or or um, things that might surprise congregations that their pastor thinks yeah, <laughs> or has been yeah. exposed to. If that's been done, then I th- I think it's easier to have the science and faith conversation. Mm, so you almost have to do a bit of a gauge before you get there, what, what, what we're doing. We're introducing the whole idea or we're building yeah. on something that's already there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you find out quite quickly, I think. So, com- sure. confidence in the Bible, I think, is important. Mm. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Really good. And who who is your? So, if you're going out to a church group and you're imagining a target audience, who who do you have in mind? I think someone who left school a while ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, That's Louise then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe before um, molecular biology was in GCSE science Mm. you know people are like DNA it's a thing not totally sure what it is um and just I'm imagining quizzical looks on people's face and slight nervousness um or folded arms and this isn't for me and Mm. I'm trying to win that audience this is for you you are going to understand this and you can't make people open their minds if they've decided science is hard Mm. and they're just not going to that's going to freeze and not let it in, but hopefully can make it um, interesting and approachable for people. And to connect with the... I'm imagining... I'm trying to get a handle on what kind of church I'm going to and where people are. I'll, I'll mm. often ask the pastor, um, you know, what you know, you know, what level of science do you think people have? What, what Where are people in their Christian journey? Mm. Um, and... I'm trying to connect with the kind of faith that the average audience member has. Yeah. So if they're yeah. reformed, I want to connect with reformed theology, you know, if they're, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, Interesting, isn't it that? Yeah, what, if, if you asked me that, where do you think people are at? I don't know. I mean, I'd look at Louise and say, okay, ba- basic remedial, and then I might look at... No, I'm joking. Seems fair. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But we've got some, you know, bright sparks engaged. We've got some scientists in there as well, yeah. and people have wrestled with it. 
So it's interesting. It's a really good question to ask the visiting church, really. Where do you think people are at? And I sometimes do a show of hands when I start. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. feels sciencey? Oh, that's And fine. I try and encourage people to think. Some people feel sciencey. They may not have a science degree, but they yeah. love it and they read things. Yeah. And, you oh, know, good. Um, then you get an idea of. And, and then yeah. I, I kind of want to talk to the rest of the congregation that don't feel sciencey. Mm. Yeah. Let the sciencey ones. We're happy to Take see you in. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't need winning over. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, we talked a while back about your kind of stereotypical midweek old ladies group. Yes. And helping them kind of yeah. do things that they haven't mm. done for decades. Mm. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about these? I mean, I mean, they're real people when, when you go out there, but mm-hmm. almost the group that you, you keep in your mm-hmm. head when you know you get this invitation. Yeah. Who, oh, who so are like they? The kitchen pitch or something like that. <laughs> where you're just thinking it through before on the drive there. Yeah. Who's in the room? It, it's, I mean, because a lot of churches will have a midweek tea time mm. kind of um, group for older folk um, who'll come and have a little bit of a talk and some nice treats and tea and things. Um, and I love speaking to those kinds of groups. Partly because they're just so kind and encouraging um, and interesting. <laughs> and partly, and the cake's often good. And partly Helps. because, um, uh, you know, I I know that some of them will not have, there'll be this whole range. There'll be some people who've had a lifetime's career in science. Yeah. And other people, particularly the women who didn't get taught science at school. Yeah. I mean, some women may have got a little bit of biology or chemistry. Oh, it's maybe. a different era, isn't it? Completely. And, and... Not just the women, lots of people. There'll be whole areas of science they just didn't get to do. Mm. Um, and, you know, add, throw in school leaving, ages being different and yeah. all sorts. Yeah. Um, so, and a long time since school. So you've got people that when you start telling a science story in an accessible way, for example, using Morse code as a metaphor for DNA, oh, yeah. um, then peop- some people will be like, oh, I never, you know... I get it explain now. This That's to something me. I can think and about. And if you do a hands-on experiment with them, some of them might never have done a science demo. Yeah. Um, wow. And sometimes someone says, oh, if only I'd known science was so interesting, I had a chance to do it, I'd maybe... You know, you know wow. now, do some now. I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, and they, they want to go, because they know their grandkids do it. Mm. And they're like, oh, I'm going to tell my grandkids I just did DNA from strawberries, you know, or something, and they're going to show them my little tube of DNA. You know, Amazing. and it's great. Yeah. Well, speaking of DNA from strawberries... Um, we're going to do some of that live. Mm. What? Um, but we need we need someone to be one of your old ladies. So okay. I've I've nominated Andy. Right. Well, we, we looked around the room and I was the only person left. <laughs> so we've gone with that. Yes. Uh, so you're you're now Edith. How did you get to that name? Well, I um, embarrassingly <laughs> had to Google it because I couldn't think of any old lady names because I first went to Mabel and then realised that's a pop star now. Mm. And then I went to Betty, which was my grandma's name, and realised I've met several five-year-olds called Betty in the past few weeks alone. That's cool. Um, yeah. So um, perhaps, I mean, this whole thing made me feel old, so perhaps you're a Louise, but I think Edith <laughs> is probably... <laughs> Edith's good. We can work with that. Yeah. Two Louises in the room is going to get complicated. I'm going to go with the backstory. She worked in a, a, a marketing firm yeah. uh, as well for a while. She was a typist. She was a typist. You know the story. There she was, yeah. But she took a break, obviously, for the kids yeah. as well and got back into work when she could. Yeah. yeah. She, Part-time. Yeah. She loves Italy. Oh, yeah. But surprisingly, the North. Oh. But there you are, yeah. So Controversial. She, Edith, full of surprises. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I think we need a a break to get some equipment out. Right? 
Welcome back. We are all set up for an experiment that Ruth does often in church settings and Edith is all ready to go. Oh yes, it's 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 oh it's lovely. It's really nice. I'm trying to find Edith's voice listener, okay? I think she's like this. No, she hello dear. No, it's Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, hello. I'm Edith. I'm doing Scottish because you're... Oh, dear. Okay. Anyway, the listener needs to know, this looks like a scene from Breaking Bad. You've put plastic everywhere. There's chemicals. Yep. This is yep. this is crazy. Good. Let's engage Edith. Okay. Hello, I'm Edith. Right, Edith. Well, what you need... No, is... I'll stop you there, dear. I don't do science. Oh, well, can you make a cup of tea? Yes, I can. What would you? How would you like it? If you can make a cup of tea, you can do this. Okay, all right. I'll give it a go. Yeah, I'm going to give you a couple of strawberries Thank in you. your, and if you can put them in your plastic bag. Thank you. All right, I have something bit set out before me that you've put a lovely floral tray, putting a couple of strawberries in a plastic bag. And then I, I want can do that. I want you to squish them with your hands. Okay. The more squish, the better. Squishing yeah. now. Squishing. Squ squishing engaged. How are we doing? Good, thank you. I'm, I am I. come from an area where there are strawberry farms, so I always feel a little bit bad about <laughs> out-of-season strawberries. And I know this experiment is harder to do with them. So These were particularly naughty strawberries and they yeah. deserve this. <laughs> yes, a bit like that ginger biscuit recipe where you have to squash them up. So just They squished no enough? Are they squished enough? No. No lumps? No lumps. Oh. It's quite satisfying, the squishing yeah, process, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a lovely <laughs> feeling. And what we're going to do, so we're separating the cells so strawberries the building block of anything alive is called a cell um, you can't see the joints they're very tiny and we're trying to separate them out from each other and then we're going to burst them with a mixture of washing up liquid and salt so I'm now going to pour a little bit of this into your bag okay. and if you can give it another little bit of a squish but this time without Losing the liquid. Um, squishing away. Squish. A squish, squish here and a squish, squish there. Here and a squish, I there a squish, <laughs> everywhere a squish, squish. Very used, 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 <laughs> used to be in the theatre, you know. Very good. Mm. Very good. And I, I would normally at this point pour some pineapple juice in because mm. that has enzymes, a bit like your biological washing powder which break down the proteins the whole thing's got a in lot the cells. Um, yep, that's it, and runny and a bit squishy. And then what we're going to do is we'll, if, you, if we can hold it above the glass and kind of... So we've got a glass with a strainer over it. Mm. A little cone out of a plastic bag. Um, don't, maybe don't squeeze it because what we're going to do is cut the bottom off it and then we let the strawberry juice leak out all over the strainer, tea, tea strainer. This is totally kitchen science. You don't need any special equipment. Through, and there's some lovely pink strawberry juice coming out. So this is strawberry juice and washing up liquid in there at the moment. And salt. And salt. Um, and um, we've got some liquid, so you can put the bag in this little bowl. And um, give it a little bit of a stir, the strain. The, that looks quite appetising. I'm sure it doesn't taste it. It does, with a teaspoon, just to get the last bits of the liquid out. Squidge, squidge, squidge. Squidge, squidge, squidge. Yeah. So, 
I used to be in the theatre, you know. Yes, well done. Good. And um, it does look quite appetising. It doesn't taste good, though, because of all the washing up liquid and salt. Um, mm, salty strawberries. And then you now you can put your tea strainer in the in the bowl with your leftover stuff. So you've now got this glass of bubbly, frothy liquid. And I am going to pour down the side of your glass a little bit of ice-cold ethanol. This is exciting. The tension. The tension. At this point, someone um, who was gently losing her memory said, is this for me to drink? Mm -hmm. Um, And we said, there's a thought. (laughs) No, um, please don't. Um, So you can now see that in the join in between the pink liquid and the alcohol, which is floating on top, is some bubbly, stringy stuff. Yes, they've separated out, haven't they? And that is the DNA, which is the instructions for building and maintaining all the cells in your body coming out of the strawberry mixture. Now, it's DNA wrapped up in kinds of carbohydrate. Um, so it's wrapped up in something else. So if we, were, if we were in a lab, the next stage would be to take this, this bubbly stuff out and put it through another process uh, to get rid of the carbohydrate and make it just naked DNA. But we don't have time or the equipment for that. So what we'll do... So I'll just describe for the listener, I mean, we'll be able to see this, but we have have the glass now and it's completely separated out. It looks like a lava lamp, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a great great thing. So we've got like um, kind of strawberry red, then a straight line to this kind of clear thing which looks a bit kind of gluey, bubbly-y. And then on top, we've got a bit of a reflection of the red, so it's quite beautiful, actually. And if you take it out, try it with a toothpick first and see if you can get some in this little tube. Right, this kind of, this gathering. Yes, this 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 um, squidgy, I have to say, it looks and feels a lot like snot. Yes. Of course, well, you're too polite to know what snot looks and feels like. <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, I did actually once taste it, uh, yes, and it, it tastes very bad. You once um, tasted it. That's science. I just, I, I, it's just one of those things. Um, but don't do that at home because do we have it's enough yet, or I got too much salt in. You could also use this little pipette to have a, a, a squidge oh. and take some of the alcohol with it. Oh, now I feel so like I'm doing proper science now. Oh, this yeah. is fun here. Can see. So. Okay, yeah. Try not to take any strawberry juice. There, you've got a tube full of... Right, there you go. Tube full of DNA. Right. And that little plastic tube I've given you with its little, neat little lid, it takes about a millimetre, millilitre and a... Oh, it's like a baby COVID one. One and a half millilitres. Um, Yeah, it is a little bit like the COVID. That's lab equipment that a a local company gave me a big bag full of those. So we use those in the lab all the time for molecular biology. So you can squish the lid on. Right, and okay, pop take the lid down. It, take it home, Edith, and show your grandchildren <laughs> yes. that you've done something that they probably did at primary school, um, which is to take DNA out of... Um, so that, I'm... Ho- oh, it's popped open. It's alive! Um, <laughs> kind of. There you go. That Get it is the DNA... From the strawberry. From the strawberry. Yes. In a tube. <laughs> so, so what's that? That is I know a, you've just explained it all, but... What is a blob of DNA wrapped around by polysaccharide, a kind of sugary carbohydrate. Right. Um, so my colleague who does work on DNA... 
Yeah. It's slightly disapproving of me saying that's DNA. Okay. So I qualify it with the there's other stuff wrapped around it. And if we were going to um, do anything else with it, we would actually take the alcohol off. Yes, yeah. Put water in so that it dissolves. Yeah. And then do something to digest or separate out the so, DNA from... So let me... Help me out here. So we've squidged a strawberry up. Mm-hmm. Um, and using some chemicals and some squidging, we've pulled some of its key DNA out. We burst the cells open. Oh, we burst the cells open, right? You okay. Probably studied osmosis at school. Yes, we, where I the probably water did. Goes in. It doesn't mean uh... <laughs> <laughs> if you have a yeah, yeah. And actually, the yeah, yeah. So we use the water and washing up liquid, burst the cells open. Yeah. And when the alcohol pulled the DNA. Right. Was sort of attracted into the alcohol. It's happier there than in water. And so, there, so now, so the big question is, of course, mm-hmm. if I wanted to create an island of lots of strawberries running around, I wouldn't need a mosquito in amber. I've got it here right now. I could have the Jurassic Park of strawberries with what I've got here. Might be quite low quality DNA. Low quality, okay. But um, it's the begin. It's the principle. We, we might not have been gentle enough with it. Um, so it might whole, be kind of broken strands is what we're saying. Yeah, whole genome. Yeah, so you'd, you'd probably do a slightly different process. Okay. Similar. All right. Similar, same principles. So I'll just different. keep hold of this and I'm going to create a Jurassic Park for strawberries. Put it straight else. in the freezer. Straight in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. And um, hope for the best. I mean, You'll what? save the world when the bees die out and we mm, have no yeah, strawberries. Mutant strawberries everywhere, yeah. Oh, brilliant. What a great experiment. And it's started to separate now out, hasn't it? You can kind of see yeah, it rather can... than just floating at the top. Very exciting. I it's... really enjoy it because you don't think of DNA as something that you can see. Like, you think of it being really tiny, but of course, if you have lots of a tiny thing, you end up seeing it. <laughs> yes, lots and lots of strands together, but but as I said, lots of this polysaccharide wrapped around it, which Helping makes it more visible. It. Yeah, um, But um, I did give some to my colleague to take to the lab and test to see if there actually was DNA in it. But by the time it got to his lab, I think it was so scrunched up in the alcohol, it couldn't right. really do anything with it. But, okay, um, that's fun. Yeah. But it's the substance. <laughs> so what does, what does Edith normally say about now? You, often I'm going to go and show that to my grandkids. Oh, that's fun. They they get to do this kind of stuff at school and science festivals and yeah, hands-on yeah. science and the adults have to stand politely in the background and mm. watch and... And Usually. time for the adults to not be polite and yeah. to, <laughs> to so, actually do it. Yeah. Oh, that is that, but they're even like, I mean, the listener's not seeing it, but you, you're just kind of staring at it. Oh, this is really, I've just done this. Nice, that, <laughs> so yeah, that's not yeah. even Edith. That's just you, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that, it's all my TV training probably. <laughs> keep it, keep it visual, keeping it visual. You can get kits to take DNA out of your own cheek cells. So you take a little Whoa. swab. From um, the inside or outside? From the inside. From the inside. Cheek cells, right, and then you do... And to be honest, a bit like your COVID testing kit, only a bit more complicated. You yeah, know, I think yeah. people are probably more familiar with these little things now. And um, that's really fun. I remember the first time I did that, even as a, I think I'd finished my PhD by that point, but I was still like, it's my DNA. I've got it in a little bottle. I've still got the bottle. There won't be any DNA in it anymore. It'll be all broken up. But that was exciting. I don't, I have done that. Although mm. helping people to do that, you just come away feeling like I've just got everyone spit up my hands. But <laughs> it is fun. It is a yeah. fun thing to do. So this is what you're doing when you kind of go places and you need to win people over in it. You get this kind of moment of, oh, this is amazing. This is something that mm. I've just created and I've taken part in and something I didn't know I could do. Um, and then 
as far as I understand, that's something you've tried to kind of carry over this idea of wonder into mm-hmm. the Wonders of the Living World project. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, can you talk us through the concept of that project and, and what it is? So I just done a project called God in the Lab where I was trying to help people to see that things like beauty and creativity were important in science and also in Christian theology and where the connections are between the two, trying to help people to Mm. build up this picture of science and Christian faith that's very positive. So I thought for the next project it would be good to work those principles out with some case studies. Um, And because I'm a biologist, I picked um, the living world, and uh, I really wanted to expose people to the latest science um, and how beautiful and interesting and exciting that is. Mm. But to a handful of scientists doing that work, who for them, part of the driver or the question that came out of that work were big questions that mm. were more like. They were prompted by the science, but they're more the kind of questions that would have you going to theology or philosophy to answer them. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, uh, I mean, you've probably got you've probably got this, Lou. I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I, you looked like you had an excited question. Well, so. I am excited about what you're saying. <laughs> what kind of questions? What what kind of subjects? What what you know? What what were we looking at? So we went from the world of the very small to the world of the whole ecosystem oh, yeah, throughout yeah. the book, and. Um, I mean, the two really obvious candidates for the book to begin with were a guy called Simon Conway Morris, um, who's a paleobiologist, um, and he was looking at how um, the same kinds of things seem to evolve over and over and over again, Mm. as if it's rigged, (laughs) because this is the way the world is, you know, light behaves in a certain way, so the best way of seeing is going to be a camera eye, the kind of eye that we have. Mm. Um, And it's almost completely optimised for seeing in a world where there's light or our ears or our noses. You know, they're very, very incredibly effective ways of seeing and hearing and smelling. And if it were going to evolve again from scratch, you'd come up with a very similar solution. So we see um, when you look at... Um, how organisms are related to each other using DNA patterns as a way of um, figuring out how they are related to each other, you can see that in some instances the last common ancestor, for example, didn't of a human and an octopus didn't have an eye at all. Mm. But they now both have the same kind of eyes. So they've evolved <laughs> independently oh, wow. the same okay. kind of eyes. So there are loads and loads of examples of those things that seem to have evolved over and over again because it's just the best solution. Um, so he's talking about how evolution is not totally random. It, it's going in directions. There's a pattern to it. Um, so we really wanted him in the book, and he said yes. And the other one was a guy called Steve Freeland who looks at DNA, uh, genetic codes uh, from a sort of theoretical, biochemistry kind of computery way, saying, could you make a better code? And Mm, One in a million, the chemistry of life in the universe. Yeah, so the answer with one of his experiments was yes, but only, you know, if you look at a million options, one of them would be better than ours. Wow. So what what the living things on this world has seems to be a very, again, very, very highly optimised 
solution to the question of how do we pass information on from one organism to another. So what's this? What so this project? I've, I mean, I've got a beautiful book in front of me. Mm. Is it just a book? Is it a bigger project? And when we can unpack this beautiful book? Yeah, I mean, so we've got videos of the people in it. Right. We've got small group material to go with those videos. We've got school resources wow. to go with those videos. There's a bunch of articles online, mm. and we've obviously got the images which we can use. People ask them if I can give them to them, and I have to say no. <laughs> yeah, just um, beautiful. Just for us, um, but um, the it is lovely to introduce people to the science and then to the scientists. So, for example, both Simon Conway Morris and Steve Freeland are very cautious with what they say the science points to. Mm. Steve would say, again, it looks like the universe. It's not a random, meaningless. You know, it's a highly unlikely accident that we're here. It's actually yeah. the cosmos is fruitful for life. We are made of the four most common elements yeah. in the universe, you know. Mm. So the possibility of there being life somewhere else sounds quite high when you think about it that yeah. way. Um, and he would say it's almost as if living things are kind of an imprint of the characteristics of the universe. Um, the, every, all the features were there to make life developing almost inevitable and what does that say you know yeah do you have to be all car sagan and say oh it's all you know you know it's a no i'm not thinking of car sagan it's someone else yeah. oh it's nearly lunchtime so i forgot his name <laughs> <laughs> no it is car sagan you know um, well yeah, i mean i just not along assuming, yeah. assuming everything is a bit purposeless yeah. and you know it's all a happy yeah. accident and yeah steve's like no mm. well maybe it resonates with the existence of a loving purposeful creator mm. you know. who likes life yeah uh yeah i really enjoyed actually looking at, at the book and at the website that you really feature the authors that was really striking like we're not just talking about ideas we're talking about people mm -hmm. and that's clearly really intentional can you talk us through some of why you did that yeah good so i I um, I think meeting people is really important. I think it's one of the most powerful things of people in their stories. So at the end of the book, yeah. it shares a bit more of their personal story, journey of faith and science and what's important to them and the questions and where they go to answer them. And I think once you know, <laughs> you know, that, for example, Simon Conway Morris has got an interesting story. You can Google him or go to talks when he comes to town yeah. and, you know, what have you. So it gives you some you know, a resource you can follow. Yeah. Um, and um, I, yeah, so, and, and they were all involved in different ways in helping me to tell their story. Some of them, you know, Jeff sent me a copy of the textbook he wrote <laughs> or edited. I was like, great. The representation of me, Perfect. it's a textbook. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Steve sent me his, you know, um, you know, top eight papers to read. Um, yeah. Another one, Rhoda Hawkins, is actually a friend, which was useful because her topic is statistical mechanics, which I now know about. Um, I knew <laughs> I it was important. It <laughs> but my assistant and I, you know, tried to unravel her story and, and tell it, and then she rewrote it for us. That's <laughs> very patient. <laughs> so they all had different levels of involvement in, in producing that story, so... Well, let um, me just let me just. It's a beautiful book, and the images are incredible, mm. which is really great because textbooks used to be, you know, you, you had to draw on them yourself in science to make them interesting. <laughs> but these, no way. This absolutely beautiful. And there's like a curriculum of wonder, isn't there? Almost yeah. here, like some things to just inspire you, and perhaps pose some questions yeah. about it all. It's absolutely incredible. 
Yeah, so we, yeah. it's meant to be the sort of book you have on the coffee table or in the loo. Gotcha. And you yeah. dip into, so you may not read it from cover to cover, but you might dip I into don't it. Don't dip in your loo. Go, don't, no. yeah, go with coffee <laughs> oh, table, dear. I think. Okay, <laughs> coffee table. Yes, um, yes. But, you know, dip into Very it, good. have a flick through, you know, go to the back back chapter and read their stories. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, just enjoy. I love this kind of idea stories. with all of this beautiful imagery as well, mm. that it's like... You're not just explaining in the content mm-hmm. that this is inspiring and beautiful mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, come yeah, on this journey. Yeah. You're presenting it in an inspiring mm. and beautiful way. Yeah. Was that yeah. an intentional decision? Yes, because biologists, as I said earlier mm. in the interview, are very visual people. And I wanted to share the beautiful imagery that we have. And Lion, the publisher, found this fantastic illustrator, Danny Allison, who uh, artist who who then, on top of the photos we provided, produced beautiful drawn and painted illustrations. Um, and he did far more than we asked for, to be honest. It was a total <laughs> labour of love for him. Really got into it. Yes, and some of them are really stunning. Yeah. Some quite impressionistic. So it, it mm. lifts it from being, you know, a factual science book, you know, and... And I mean, as well as the words telling a story with metaphor and things all the yeah. way through, the the pictures lift it and make it more of an artistic book than a. I'm hoping to appeal to the arty people. Yeah, I noticed yeah. you had some artist yeah. metaphors in it as well. So mm. like at the start, you talk about the molecules in a cell being like the dots in an impressionist's mm. painting, and you have to kind of zoom out to to see what the cell does. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great imagery for an, a non scientist yeah. and to appeal to, to artsy people. Mm. Is there a, a bigger link with the idea that these things are art? Yeah, I mean, mm. I think I, I mean, I think they are. I mean, I, Jeff Harden, who's one of the people features in the book. Um, partly because beauty to him is so important and he's mm. married to an art um, historian and, yeah. you know, thinks in this way and he and he, he he loves different metaphors. So he talks about the dance of the cells yeah, as a, one, yeah. an, mm. an embryo develops. Um, so it's really great working with people who get the idea of that metaphor. I mean, the art illustration, to be honest, came from Rhoda Hawkins's head as we tried to explain this principle of order emerging from randomness. I came up with a metaphor of little kids, uh, little kids running around rooms doing all sorts of things, and she was like, no, as a physicist... <laughs> Too much chaos. <laughs> this, as a physicist, this does not work. So she came up with the metaphor of the, mm. the, the Impressionist painting that you look at it up close and it's just a load of blobs, and then you step back 10 feet or 20 yeah. feet and it, yeah. it looks absolutely stunning. Um, and that's what's going on. And the idea is helping people to see that um, randomness is our friend. Randomness is creative um, yeah. and can be used for creative ways um, intentionally. Mm. You know, in a game, mm. you throw a dice as a tool, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So why can't God, as creator, use random processes in order to create on purpose what he wishes to create? Mm. And those things would then be his art. Yeah. <laughs> How are we feeling about this as, as someone who named a church Gallery Church? Is this <laughs> resonating with you at all, Andy? <laughs> oh, it really is, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, like, the kind of natural laws and things like that are, are plenty. That's God's, it's God's rules and God's thing. And I think we've added so many and so many restrictions. If we could just relax a bit and just enjoy the idea, like, go over the line on some stuff that has God broken that rule of ours 
and was it okay and how do we view stuff and then so I just think you know the heavens declare the work of, of the, so we look up at a sky sometimes we just it's the hand of the creator you know I didn't do it I didn't put it in my diary to do mm. I don't know if any of you did but there it was that morning this beautiful sky and I just think God's I mean, that's just one facet. It's the hand of the creator. So I've always loved that. I've always loved that idea and encouraged people to just think maybe God's doing this, maybe God's doing it slightly differently in someone else, you know, and let's just be open to him moving. So to have a book where it's it's almost that... Oh, just punch the mic again. I keep doing it. But um, <laughs> have a book where that is kind of happening or encouraged. I just am a huge fan, really. I just think, yes, and it's beautiful. You know, and let's engage hard people. I think for a long time it's been we do a service like this, and literature's is done okay. Literature's done okay in Christian circles, but I don't know. You know, to have visual stuff is mm. thanks. That's Good. what I'll say. Thanks. Not you a know, you, the uh, uh, the one thing I'm looking at this whole thing and I'm listening to you speak. It's the hand of the creator, isn't it? Mm. You know, and it's something we are a product of, and mm-hmm. we have the gift of. But mm-hmm. we mustn't think that we designed it, therefore we must box in how this hand will work, you know. Mm-hmm. This is beautiful. So I like that it opens everything up. Yeah. 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 And it's not just the book as well, there's the website. So if yeah. I can, I'd like to finish by challenging you to do one of the things that you got the contributors, con- contributors, contributors to do <laughs> on the website. So as well as the kind of bigger interviews about kind of life and philosophy, you've got the kind of little chattier ones as well, mm-hmm. two-minute ones. Okay. And one of the questions you asked was, what has inspired you this week or excited you this week? Ooh. So that's my question for you to finish us off, Ruth. I think daffodils. Daffodils. <laughs> I think nice. just seeing, um, you know, after, I think down in Cambridge, we've had three mega cold snaps this year, mm. um, this winter been miserable um but seeing things coming out of the ground and understanding a little bit of the science behind that to do with warmth and you know light and air and in a sense the components are so simple but what's happening in the flower is so complex i think just knowing factors coming together yeah and just knowing a little bit about how it works just makes it so much more exciting seeing things poking up and growing and so thanks for bringing all of that together and thank you for being here with us and listeners go and be inspired by the daffodils thanks for joining us if you're wondering why we're talking about daffodils we recorded this episode in february but please do go out and be inspired by all the may flowers instead if you're fed up of the outdoors and are having some screen time you can get in touch with questions comments and suggestions on instagram at now there's a thought or by email to now there's a thought at c3gallery.church they both look exactly like now teresa thought but that's just a happy coincidence if your name is teresa and you'd like to help us live up to our instagram handle please get in touch for that too do also have a look at the Faraday Institute's resources. The link is in the show notes, or you can just Google them. We'll be back next month, so follow us on your podcast app to get a notification. And don't forget to tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast, but not if you don't. That's no help. <laughs> <laughs>